feet. You kiss my toes. And up to here with decisions and the NWO. What are we doing here? Well, well, well. Look who came crawling back. Welcome back to the first episode of Welcome to Thunderdome. I apologize in advance for all the hard cuts, my stuffy nose, uh, a truck beeping, and our cats meowing in the middle of uh, in the middle of our episode. But that's why we appreciate all the more this uh, this touch and go journey that we're taking together. In this exciting second half, we have a bunch of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash shenanigans sprinkled in with some Buff Bagwell and Conan and a Goldberg match, along with the quote-unquote MMA bout with Larry Sabisco and Eric Bischoff. But before we get into the second part, a special shout-out to Dawnstar Video Games. They are a retro video game and an otaku shop out of Richmond, Virginia, and these guys were at Kings County Brewing Collective, where Andrew and I frequent. We played some retro Nintendo 64 games, we talked some wrestling, and these guys are big WCW marks, and it was really nice to hook up with them, and they hooked us up with really, really nice glassware, uh, so special shout out to those guys for showing us some love. So if you're as excited as I am, let's join the boys in punching our one-way ticket to Larry Land's Sugar Hole. Yeah! So next match, the aggro crag turns red. We're treated again to a Wonders of the Orient The theme stock music. To uh, introduce a Samoan. More uh, specifically, <laughs> Ming. Ming! Ming comes out with Jimmy Hart and... Nick, would you say this is like a slightly more subdued Jimmy Hart? Um... I don't want to kill him. So that's like a, <laughs> that's a step up from where he usually is. Meng, apparently one of, like, the great lunatics in professional wrestling. Yeah. Just a complete, insane, crazy person. Who's he wrestling, Andrew? He's wrestling. Well! Well, it's... Giant! <laughs> just giant. Drop the the. It's smoother. But he comes out and, like, yeah. they got a green wash on him. He looks like the Jolly Green Giant. Oh, shit. He's, he's even got, oh, like, shit. the singlet and everything. It's really bad. It's... It's strange in a way that they decided to have both of these guys come out with these, like, washes over them, and it, it doesn't do anybody any favors, I'll say that. This is a typical big boy. Well, big boy, medium-sized boy. <laughs> big boy, slightly less big boy. Meng is the medium boy, and uh, Giant is the big boy. I want to go, like, hit by hit, but, like, there really is nothing happening in this match. He's only here to just do two things, which is chop you until your ribs cave in. Yeah, and then hit a choke slam. And that's, that's the whole slam. match. I think two minutes, 30 seconds this match was? Do you really want to watch a longer Big Show match? No, but I do want to see a Big Show match like this one where he uh, almost power slams Jimmy Hart into the mat. Oh my god. Which is awesome. And he lifts up... Jimmy Hart over the ropes like a miracle on 34th Street Santa Claus. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas, little boy? <laughs> but he gets one to Manga. The thing is, like, Show lands on his knees hmm. when he does it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a variation of this choke slam that uh, we obviously don't see him do anymore because his knees are all fucked up. But even at this size, and he is looking pretty chunky here. He's gonna, oh, yeah. He's going to get bigger, but... You can tell he's already starting to slow down a little bit, even in 1998. And I'm thinking, if only he could have, like, sat out. Yes. Did, like, a sit-out choke slam. I would be more concerned about his tailbone. 
do what happened with uh, with Austin and just have your spine compressed. Yes, it wouldn't work. I like to make note here that uh, Meng was doing Meng. the X Pop Kung Fu. Uh, yeah, Meng hits a move and then does the kind of like whoa. And, and you know what? It has the exact same go away heat. Yeah, nobody likes it. It sucks. I mean, I know Meng is supposed to be kind of a bad guy at this point here, but people just hate him and they don't want to see him. It's yeah. not good. No, it's because you know he's just. Ming. Yeah, he's just it's Ming. Exactly. There he is. And he got uh, chokeslammed by Big Show. And then he died. <laughs> Good match. Nah, it was. Nah. It was, it was alright. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, six out of ten if I've ever seen one. Uh, alright, let's move on. We have Steve McMichael. Oh my god. Uh, the most creative wrestler name I have ever heard. You would think, but he actually got around uh, in WCW. Alright, Nick, lay it on me. Who is Steve McMichael? Before he was a wrestler, he not only played for the Bears, but he won a Super Bowl with them. What? Yeah, he was on my... Was he on the Dicka team? He was on Dicka's oh Bears. Oh my god. The 1985 season. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, career highlights for well, that, Steve McMichael. That's his career highlight is he won a Super Bowl. Not only that, he is a two-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro. And best ponytail in the NFL. <laughs> ponytail that I would die for. That is amazing. Yeah. He was in a couple of really good angles. He was also a member of the Four Horsemen and held the WCW United States title, if you can believe it. What? Yes. Wow. This There's guy. like a whole generation of shit on this show that I totally missed, and like this is all of it. Yeah, and this is just like the spark notes. After Steve McMichael takes his two first names ass into the ring, out comes the genetic jackhammer, the Jewish golem... It's Goldberg, my hero, the uh, the only Jew with a tribal tattoo. He's gonna be fed to Goldberg in this match. Spoiler alert, everybody! Yeah, but, spo uh, spoiler alert, Goldberg wins. But Steve McMichael, he gets a lot of good offense off on yes, on Goldberg. As, he does a tope as soon as the match. Yes, starts. as Goldberg is taking his long walk down the ramp into the ring. Uh, Steve McMichael says, fuck that, I'll have none of that, and dives through the ring ropes into Goldberg, and it works! And he, like, Irish whips Goldberg into the 2,000-ton steel stairs, and for a moment you're looking at this like, this is a Goldberg match? Like, I'm shocked at how much offense Steve McMichaels is in, but he WCWs himself and throws Goldberg into the ring and leaves himself outside to chase him, which is the opposite of how that's supposed to work. And Goldberg, again, you know, throughout the match is just more of, like, signs like, of strength. And, yeah, the, basically, know, the minute Steve gets into the ring, Goldberg hits him up for the jackhammer, and that's going to be the end of it, basically. Not before Goldberg does this really awesome leg scissor roll-up. Yeah, like, this weird, like, this, moves. like, wrestling maneuver. It's, um, it's, it's like a roll-up, but he does it while he's jumping, and then he locks in the worst leg bar. I guess it's a knee bar? I don't even know what this lock is supposed to be. But Goldberg doing submission moves is something I think he would quickly phase out of his repertoire. Yeah, because he's not, you know... He's uh, not actually, good at it. <laughs> actually, let me um, let me send it to Brain, who says... Well, it's not a direct quote. If he, had, with his size, has max smarts, he could be unstoppable. Yeah, but he doesn't. You know, that's the thing. Like, Goldberg can barely do the two moves that he knows. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I think Brain kind of 
you know, there was a dig at him a little bit. Watching know. him try to do like a figure four or whatever that was supposed to be. It was, was like a it was like a rolling scissor block into like a knee bar. It was a cool move until he like tried to do the submission hold itself and totally biffed it. So after this really cool little like flash of a move that he has, McMichael breaks out of the leg lock and then does like these jumps into uh, into the back of his legs and he just gets cute with little defensive tackle maneuvers, like totally trying to flip him over. But, you know, it, it's all for naught because Goldberg hulks up, does his spear, which is the best in the game. I don't think his spear here looks as good as Steve McMichael's like running chop block that he does. And maybe part of it is just Goldberg being like, this is thunder and I don't give a shit, but... Gold, kind of a lazy spear from Bill. But, you know, he gets him up pretty high for a solid jackhammer. Yeah, the jackhammer does look good. Yeah, and he does the jackhammer for the three and puts him away in a paltry two and a half minutes. That's honestly a fucking eternity for a TV Goldberg match in 1998. Like, I mean, Steve McMichael, he's he's not a schmuck. He was part of... Yeah, no, he was part he, of the horse. I thought he looked pretty good in this match, to be honest. I was, like, kind of impressed with Steve McMichael. Yeah, it's John. like naming someone like Jack Jamison. <laughs> or or uh, Dan McStevenson. Mike McJoseph. So that was, you know, that was fine. Um, they gotta introduce everybody, you exactly. know? Exactly. We gotta get, the, gotta get their shit in. Next match out of the aggro crack, we have Buff Bagwell, Conan, and Vincent. Puff Bagwell's gimmick was always, look at how many steroids I can do, I know this won't last forever, and someday I'll die. But up until then, I'm party guy! But, to his credit, he has a great body. Speaking of big, great bodies, you want some real meat in the room. Here come the Steiner brothers with Ted DiBiase. And can we talk about just seeing Ted come out fucking laughing his cackling head off? It's carrying the Steiner's belt. amazing. Like, there is such a difference between... When you see the managers like Sonny Odo, or even like Jimmy Hart at this point, and then Ted comes out, it's night and day. There is a level of prestige there, and immediately Ted gets right in the middle of that ring and holds up the Steiner's belts, and is just non-stop shit-talking. It's amazing. I mean, rightfully so, because according to Marshall, uh, quote, the Steiners got goofed out of the championship <laughs> before DiBiase started managing them. I'll believe it. Which, yeah, you know what? You have a real, you have a guy like Million Dollar Man in your corner. You know, you're gonna fucking start winning some matches. Yeah. So the storyline of this match so far sort of has been that the Steiner brothers, obviously longtime brother tag team brothers, <laughs> there is a rift. Rick Steiner, the dog face gremlin, is basically the same guy that he's always been. He's the pug nosed, tenacious bruiser of the group. Uh, however, Scott Steiner, as he has gotten older, has started his evolution into the genetic freak. Uh, And there is an amazing moment at the beginning of this match where Scott and Buff are in the ring and Buff is doing, like, bodybuilder poses. And as he hits all of them, Scott just pushes him down and then flexes and points to his freakish baby head sized bicep and is like look at this i bet you anybody who's listening to this and then see scott steiner in their mind they're thinking you know big bad booty dad of course but he gets his freaks horizontal but on thunder he is nigh recognizable he is i would say almost as big and gross looking as he would get when he fully became big papa pump which is only like a year from now it might have been in 1998 that he started doing that i think so yeah but he still got 
like a little bit of the speed that he used to have. Like he does a Frankensteiner in this match where like every time he does it late in his career, he almost brains himself, but it's uh he can still hit it, you know? He's still athletic enough to pull it off. There's something about the Steiners, regardless of what era they're in, they're so fucking crisp and so oh, they're, smooth. They're save amazing. for the save for fucking Rick giving Conan an uh, upside down power slam onto a turnbuckle. You've got the Steiners, arguably the best American tag team of this decade, wrestling Buff Bagwell and Conan? Like Speaking of which Buff on. Speaking of which Buff Bagwell, after you know, you have like the, the crispness of the Steiner brothers, you have Buff fucking Bagwell get ready to do a big fucking neck breaker, jumps oh, up yes. and whips yes. it. Buff Bagwell like jumps three feet in the air, totally loses Rick and just falls on his own. It's an amazing spot and uh, <laughs> it is a testament to the fact that Buff is all buff and no stuff. <laughs> That's more wordplay. That's very funny. So, fa so fast forward to the end of this match. Yeah, you got Conan has a couple, you know, bits of offense. He punches, and, he kicks. Virgil you know, is out at ringside looking for his fuck money and Olive Garden breadsticks. Rick is up on the on the turnbuckle. It's like um, the top right of the hard cam. But then you have Scott doing a wicked Frankensteiner. Yeah, and then it's, for the three. he lands on right on his head like he always does with that. Stupid move. But. but then Rick is just standing up there on the turnbuckle like a schmuck. This is like some of the, I almost said best, but really it's most in-ring storytelling we've seen so far on this episode, is that Rick is ready to do their classic tag team finisher, that big bulldog off the top rope, yeah. and instead, Scott hits the Frankensteiner and says, Fuck out of here, you dog-faced gremlin. I will take the glory. And you're absolutely right. We're starting to see the evolution of Scott into... As you know, Big Papa big, Pump, big the big Papa gross Pump. booty daddy. Sewing what between this tag team, Nick? Dissension! Dissension. Oh, the best story Dissension. of all. Dissension! Um, so, 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 wow. <laughs> is that is that from Lion King 2? Uh... That's a, that's a deep cut. It was. Which, I mean, that movie was also not very good, but... No, know. it wasn't. Um, so, the WWE Network, by the way, which, again, is what we're watching uh, these episodes of Thunder on, they were gracious enough, and I'm really hoping that this is something that was an official part of the broadcast and not just a commercial that they spliced in. Uh, after this match, we get a Macho Man Slim Jim commercial that is all of, like, six seconds long. He goes... Full on at Secret World of Alex Mack and, and forms out of like a puddle of a slim, yes. the Slim Jim logo There's, and then just like morphs into Randy Savage. Yeah, silver goop turns out of the logo into Macho Man and then we're back to wrestling. It's amazing. So now we're halfway. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, we are halfway into this broadcast. We've watched an hour of Thunder. There is another hour left of this show. And already I'm like, I'm done. So I am just not invested in anything that is happening on this show. No, it, it, listen guys, we're, we really are doing our best to try to keep up the you know, excitement here. But it's going to get better. So gonna, what, I'm, what I'm, I'm hoping, hoping is that Jesus, as Thunder starts to see the writing on the wall more and more, which is like, even though this is the first episode, we'll be sooner rather than later because the show didn't last very long. Uh, 
I just can't look away from Bobby's pumpkin-colored shirt. It's incredible. <laughs> it's so, yeah. Bobby Heenan looking like the spirit of Halloween out here. So we get so a we flashback can... in the middle of the episode back to Starcade 97. So, Andrew, remember I was talking about a MMA match beyond any kind of expectation? Oh, yeah. This is where this episode of Thunder goes from, like, just bad to, I think, a level of almost high camp that we can really appreciate here. Uh, so you get Brett the Hitman Hart comes out at Starcade. Because he's going to ref, by the way. Because he's going to Then you get Eric Bischoff coming out shirtless with a backwards baseball cap. Pointing at the audience, and he is here to wrestle. Kind of. No, he is not. You're, you are absolutely incorrect. He is not here to wrestle. He is in the lower half of black karate gi and foot guards. <laughs> this isn't a wrestling match. He is going to fight Larry Sabisco. <laughs> He's going to fight a man 20 years his senior. <laughs> and Scott Hall is just clapping and you know he's he's pumping him up like he's ready to be witness to the weirdest friggin match of this show and thank god you're watching this match for free and the crowd because i would not have paid for this shit the crowd is like into this there are all these signs like bischoff is wrestling like i'm wondering if it's more like eric bischoff it's like the way people feel about like tony khan or cody rhodes now we're like they're giving him pops less for his wrestling and more for the fact that, like, you're running this good promotion that we all like. It's a novelty of him to, being out in the ring. To me, that is the only explanation for why anybody would make an Eric Bischoff sign. You know? Like, that's got to be the only reason. Larry Zabisco coming out uh, wearing a sparkly jacket that says Legend on the back of it uh, with big baggy arms to hide the fact that one of his arms has atrophied. Also in this broadcast, did I hear... Did I hear this right? Apparently, Eric Bischoff is going to get full into Larry Sabisco's sugar hole. Oh, yeah. This was so weird. Um, and he's going to take a one-way ticket to Larry Land? Yeah, there is a lot going on in that. Um, and there is a great sign. Uh, Bischoff fears, fears Larry, Larry Land. Land. I do, too. I don't want any part of this. <laughs> old slippery guy. No, Larry Land is a really, like, there's another great sign, uh, hey Eric, ew, that's gross, which I have the same reaction when yeah, I see a shirtless, oh. uh. Oh my goodness, we're ready for a, a match of a lifetime. And he will essentially be wrestling one-armed. Again, he is not wrestling. He is fighting. He's yes. fighting Eric Bischoff. Yes, and for those keeping score at home, uh, Bret Hart, the man who was explicitly signed to be the face of this show, is not is out here in jeans and sneakers. Not <laughs> wrestling. Not wrestling. He's you got Bret Hart to be the face of Thunder. He's like the guest ref of this match at Starcade. So well, I mean, it's on Thunder. It's just Starcade on Thunder. So. Eric starts to get in the ring and, you know, does his little one-two bop. Zbisco is dancing, dancing all around, around him. him. Yeah. But, like, after a little bit of, like, excitement because yeah. Eric Bischoff's in the, the ring. The novelty of seeing Eric Bischoff in, like, an MMA match against Larry Zbisco. It's worn off. The crowd is completely fucking dead. Nobody knows what to make of this. Is it like, are we actually going to see some wrestling? And the answer is no. No, not really. Not at all. You're going to see a lot of Eric Bischoff bouncing around and, like, dapping up Scott Hall at ringside. And Larry trying to get in there and wrestle him, which is a fool's errand. This is, like, a step above 
like Actually, brawl no, for all. You no, know, I'm like, getting like Bart Gun vibes here. Remember that MMA match like years ago? Like this may have been the early, early days of UFC, where Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock were not allowed to hit each other because it was outlawed thanks to late shithead John McCain. So they had to like walk around each other and kind of just like take a swing and never land any actual hits. Like, nothing is happening. Brett's like, oh, you know, are you going to hit him or not? And a little while after Larry grabs him and, you know, gets him in a sleeper hold, Bobby Heenan asks the most poignant question of this entire match and this episode, which is, what are we doing here? Yeah, there's a great moment in the middle of this match where Eric Bischoff uh, hops out of the ring to, like, confer with Scott Hall, and Scott Hall suggests that he do the crane kick from the Karate Kid. He gets, like, one leg up and is like, Eric, do it! And then he gets, you know, he starts flapping his little wings like that, and Eric kind of looks at him like, like, maybe that will work against Larry Zabisco. And that one idea is followed up with another good one, which is charge at Larry Zabisco. And he responds by grabbing his hair, yes. chucking him in the middle yes. of the ring, and starts, like... You know, Zach Casey's him. He just drags him by his hair down to the ice. A Bischoff doesn't even do a front flip. He's chucked in the middle of the ring and his neck kind of follows the rest of his yeah, body. Yeah, he kind of takes like a uh, Titus O'Neil bump where it's not like a controlled move. Yeah. That's dangerous. That's how you get hurt in wrestling. So in, in the end of this quote-end-quote like... match, Scott Hall slips Bischoff a, a metal plate and he sticks it into the foot guard, beans Larry Spisco, and he's down on the mat. After this schmoz of doing nothing, it ends with the, you know, disqualification and all that shit. Thank God this fucking match is over after Larry gets kicked in the fucking head. There I, is I can't absolutely wa- I no this match. reason that Eric Bischoff on Starcade, which is one of your biggest events of the year, should have, like, a 20-minute match against Larry Zabisco. It is just a complete mess. I don't understand why they are showing us probably the worst match from Starcade 97 on the first episode of Thunder. They knew, all right, we don't have enough material for this episode to fully fill two hours, so we're going to show something from Starcade, and they land on this? What does save this, of course it's at the end, we have Scott Hall running in on Bret Hart, and you know they're, then yes. he gets a couple shots in Which on is, him. And the crowd's hot for this, too. It's exciting. Because that's the match we want to see. Oh, of course. We, we want to see fucking Bret and Scott. No, no, no disrespect to Larry. Larry's obviously, you know, a legend, but at no point in 1997 do we need to see Larry Zabisco fight Eric Bischoff. After this fucking debacle... Thunderbolt to Mike Tanay, and he's interviewing Sabisco. He's gonna wrestle Scott Hall. It's a match, quote, 10 years in the making. After this mess, I severely doubt anybody is asking for this match. No, I, I mean, to me, it's interesting that Larry is doing this. Larry comes out looking more like Michael Keaton than he ever had, wearing a bright red shirt and a tie that looks like a platter of ribs. He's wearing a red shirt with, like, a weird pattern in the middle, which looks like a fucking palm tree, wearing a black blazer. And is this what you're welcome to when you're off the boat and step into Larry Land? Yes. this shit? This is Larry Land's uniform. And he, uh, his promo, he's like, I've wrestled! The royalty in Japan, oh, yes. the president of the United States, 
The Emperor, the Emperor of Japan. Of Japan. <laughs> the King of Siam. It's a short list, you know, so he's just Prime saying, Minister of Quebec. <laughs> I wrestled in Jonestown, Guyana. Yes. I wrestled at the Spawn Ranch. Oh, I wrestled in Charles for, for Charles Manson. I wrestled all over the place. Oh, when you know what? After this match, he could literally wrestle Queen Elizabeth. And yeah. I couldn't give up. By the way, what a weird thing to flex on. So you think usually when wrestlers are like, when they're trying to be like, oh, I'm looking to have my prestige, it's always like, I'm a 15-time champion, or I'm the number one contender. Larry Zabisco is like, I went to Japan. I went to Japan and I did this thing. On a show that had real Japanese wrestlers on it, Larry Zabisco is like, I wrestled for Japanese royalty. It's just, it's just great. I, I kind of love it. So, now we have a next match with uh, with the Mang himself. The big Mang, the bad Mang. Scott the Hall. Sometimes the sad Mang. Scott Hall comes out of the aggro crag in his uh, black and red Manos the Hands of Fate job. Oh, I'm so glad that you scouted this because I don't know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be the only one that noticed this. Uh, if you have ever seen... Manos, the Hands of Fate, uh, famously a Mystery Science Theater episode, uh, as well as just one of the great bad movies. Uh, the villain in Manos is a guy called the Master, and what Scott Hall is wearing is basically like the sexy version of the Master's outfit. It is unbelievable. <laughs> it is so good. He's got the little red thingies coming down yes, his shoulders. Yes, yes. Oh my god, he... He needs a Torgo, you know? Like, maybe that's that's eventually what, you know... Sooner or later, Larry, I bet you, you know, Larry Spisco just gets beaten down and then becomes his Torgo. <laughs> the Master would not like it if you hit me with the jackknife power bomb. <laughs> so, who follows but Ray Trainer, who, uh, for those of you who don't know, is... Or was Big Boss Man? Yes, Ray Trailer coming out here. Uh, oh, did I say trainer? You said trainer, but oh, it's all oopsie. right. Uh, Ray Trailer comes out, but as he's walking down the ramp, the only thing I could focus on was somebody holding up a sign that said "No Porn," <laughs> <laughs> which I felt like they had a good opportunity to show during the Buff Bagwell match, and they missed it. So you know, there's that too. But. Uh, if you're talking about no porn being, you know, unsexy ring wear, fucking big boss, boss man, man looks like shit. He looks like an extra from a club scene in Blade. He's got like a black tank top and these leather pants and leather work boots, and he just looks like shit. He's got the bad luck fallet yeah. uh, look going on. So he obviously was never like in amazing shape, and obviously with the boss man gimmick. The fact that he was kind of this big lug was sort of part of it. But without the racist prison guard gimmick, he just sort of looks like a sad goth that, like, kind of aged out of the scene but still has the leather pants. And he's like, God damn it, I paid money for these. I'm going to wear them. It was like an outlaw biker who went straight. Yeah, but he's, like, too, too kind of cute and chubby, you know? Like, he's got too much baby fat on him. <laughs> It's not like he doesn't have some, you know, good following when he came here. He's, he's a Ray, Ray Trailer is a good wrestler. Oh, you, yeah. We were talking about this earlier about uh, closed hand strikes in wrestling. Uh, Big Boss Man has a couple in this match, especially a couple of really nice punches. They look real. They look like they hurt. Uh, Trailer, obviously, you know, kind of one of the more underrated wrestlers of this generation. If you had told me at this point in time in 1998 that Big Boss Man would be dead before Scott Hall would, I would be like, you are out of your goddamn mind. I would but, not have taken that bet. 
So in the middle of this match, we have the typical back and forth. You know, he gets a couple power moves on uh, on Scott, and Scott sells it like a fucking boss. The story in this match is that he's trying to egg on uh, Larry Spisco. Look at what I'm doing to this washed up old fat guy. I'm gonna murder you, Larry. Of course, doesn't uh, it doesn't work? Trailer <laughs> he goofs out. Got Hall. And hits him with the trailer spike, which is a boss man slam, but it kind of looks like a whoopsie Uranagi. I always feel like they missed a chance by not calling it the trailer hitch. The boss man slam is the STO, but I want to make this note here. The reverse STO? I yeah. fucking hate it. Everybody it should, hates ne it. It should never yeah, be done ever. It just and I know everybody says this, but you're you're giving yourself a rock bottom. It's the worst move in wrestling next to yeah. the Saxton Nation. Don't at me. How am I supposed to believe this is anything other than you landing on your face? Just do a DDT. You know, if you have the guy's arm over you as you're hitting the mat, you know, you're, you're taking a rock bottom. Yeah, but Ray Trailer gets the upset over Scott Hall. It's a big schmoz. Uh, it's exciting to see Ray in this promotion. Um, he's still operating at a pretty good level here despite the gimmick change, and it's nice to see him. Always, see always glad to see Boss Man. Good to see you, Boss Man. Uh, so directly after Boss Man, we get another sort of specialty of WCW, which is a Flavors of the World match. I'm really excited to talk about this next match, Andrew, because movie comes out of the aggro crag next, and I'm just like, thank God the show picks up a bit, because we've had segment, 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 and then that nightmare, which was <laughs> which was that Larry Sabisco Scott Hall match. Oh my God, I'm not yeah. Larry Sabisco, uh... You know, I've got Eric Bischoff and Scott Hall. I thought of them two at the same time because coming into the ring together, it's like his big brother ushering yes. in Scott his little Hall, brother's Scott like... Hall looked like Eric Bischoff's dad. Coming <laughs> <laughs> like, coming down to his baseball game, like, all right, time for you to beat up this old man. He's like, this the kid that bullied you? Oh, <laughs> Eric Bischoff, he, yeah! He's like, he's a pushover. You've been taking those this. taekwondo lessons, Eric. Spin kick him. You've got kick like, pads on. Go, go! You did so good at the practice. <laughs> anyway, thank we God you're like here. We got like an honest-to-God Lucha Libre match in the middle of this. And again, I know we said this for the Japanese match earlier, but part of what's so cool about WCW in this era is despite all of the sort of bullshit going on, they are uniquely committed to showcasing styles of professional wrestling mm. that you don't normally see on American TV. Anytime you've had a Japanese wrestler in the WWF at this point in time, it's usually a racist stereotype. Here, despite the, the sort of, like, gong music that they yeah. all come into, we got to see an honest-to-God, strong-style Japanese wrestling match. And now, we are getting to see an honest-to-God Lucha Libre match. And it's kind of incredible. I mean, I imagine being a young wrestling viewer, this, this kind of thing was a lot of people's first exposure to styles of wrestling that weren't American. Uh, Nick, what do we make of Hoovy Guerrero's Air Hoovy trunks? I love them. It looks like if wrestlers got, like, sponsored by Nike. Yes, yeah, it's a absolutely, cool thing. Hoovy would absolutely be signing that deal. Absolutely. Especially in the 90s? Holy shit. Oh, yeah, of course. Versus Ultimo fucking Dragon. Ultimo fucking Dragon, the belt god himself. It is sort of surreal to see him with only one belt. It looks good on him. <laughs> it that does look good like on him. Look, You know, every belt that he had, whether it's on his neck... On his arms, they've always looked good on him. Sort of funny when you think about it, like, the cruiserweight division in WCW at this time is, like, almost all Lucha Libre guys, you know? Yeah. Movie, Ultimo Dragon. Yeah. Ultimo Dragon is, gun to my head, maybe my favorite mask in Lucha Libre. Uh, the oh. combination of, like, 
samurai imagery and like classic Mexican Lucha Libre shit I think is so cool and he just always looks awesome and it's a guy who took flamboyance in Lucha Libre costuming to a new level mm. and he just looks sick he looks so good and this isn't a throwaway match like this is a really good match no we got a real like a real cruiserweight match here Hoovy and Ultimo have like a fucking barn burner and you get all the hits you have Ultimo doing a moonsault, and Ultimo was getting him up for like a power bomb, and then Hoovy changes it into a DDT, and then Hoovy ends the match with a 450 splash. So crisp. Yeah, it's so cool after having seen, you know, this is an episode where we have like Big Boss Man, Larry Zabisco, and not like no shade against those guys, but what we're seeing in this match is such a different kind of wrestling. And yeah. I would also imagine this is probably most people's first time seeing like a 450 because I can fucking guarantee yeah, you nobody on WWF at the time is doing this. Like, Yeah. No, Hoovy I think was like the only guy doing this move on TV. At the very least in like American wrestling. Oh, for you know, sure. I can't think of anybody else that was even attempting something like that. This was an era when, you know, an elbow drop off the top rope was like, ooh, oh, fancy. My God. <laughs> yeah. And with one, two, three, we're looking at the new Cruiserweight new Champion. Cruiserweight Champion. And by the way, how exciting is it to watch a wrestler like Hubi Guerrero get so excited for winning the Cruiserweight title again? Like, this is not the C prize on this show. But you know what? You would never think that this match is all that interesting. Because the fucking announce desk, talking about Scott yeah. Steiner... Being fined $5,000 for striking a ref. It bothers me throughout this episode that we're watching, I think, a couple of pretty good matches on this show. I yeah. thought the the O'Hara match earlier wasn't bad. This match with Hoovy and Ultimo Dragon is like a short but fun Lucha Libre clinic. Lots of high spots, lots of entertaining moves. It's really fast-paced. They're getting all their shit in. And yet, all throughout this match, the announce desk, like they have throughout the rest of the show, isn't... They're not calling it! They're, no. like, talking about and all this other horse shit. And this is a title match, too. It kind of takes away from the gravity of the situation when you have your announce team basically telling you, this doesn't matter. Which is kind of weird coming from WCW, which, you know, when they promoted their belts from the big gold belt down, NWA does this too, but they always put emphasis on the belt. Yeah. Like, they always show it on TV. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what you're paying to see. It's given a status that I think is higher than in other wrestling promotions. You Absolutely. know, WCW kind of separated themselves as WWF is the company for kids who want to be entertained, mm -hmm. and WCW is an athletic competition. It is, it is closer to pro fight sports than it is children's entertainment, which yeah. is what they kind of thought WWF was. Now, hilariously, <laughs> those roles would switch in about 1997 or 8 when you had the Attitude Era starting and oh, WCW yeah. had sort of blown their load, you know, on what was supposed to be a dry run, and now they've got something of a mess on their hands. WCW was just too big for their fucking britches. Yeah, they had had a lot of success. They are probably the most stacked roster of this time. When you think about who's on this show... Even in this match, Hoovy and Ultimo Dragon are two legendary lucha wrestlers, and they're just, like, in the middle of the show, you know, just out there. It's In a way, it's kind of incredible because it just shows you how many good wrestlers are signed to this company. That they, This episode is almost two and a half hours, and they can't get even half the roster in. Yeah. We, don't know, we know it's the B-show 
Don't treat it like it's the beast. You have you know? to present it as if this is going to be just as important as everything else. When SmackDown premiered, it had a similar feel of, well, it's not Raw, so why should we watch it? And they did a great job of doing brand-specific wrestlers, guys that would only show up on one show. And WCW, despite saying stuff like, oh, Bret Hart is going to be the face of Thunder, you know, they would break their own rules and guys would show up on Nitro and it, you know, there wasn't a reason to watch it, basically. They didn't give anything to make it special. Speaking of special and speaking of Bret and speaking of Hart, guess who we got next? Who do we got next? A lightning bolt transition to Iron Mike today. Oh, in-ring interview Interview extraordinaire. In-ring interview with Bret Hart. And at the top of the show, they were talking about Ric Flair and Bret Hart having a match. They did the same thing on Nitro, but now Brett's We're doing it again on Thunder. We're doing it again on Thunder. (laughs) This will become a recurring theme. I miss his pink stuff. I miss his yeah. pink and black trunks because he's coming out in the he's he coming out in a like biker. A guy. He's coming out in a biker vest and a tan shirt. He looks like a dad. Yeah. I don't know what I think about those blue cowboy boots when he just comes out of the it's, crag. I thought those were wrestling boots. So I no, was I was cow- curious that's, that's 100% Calgary I, uh, cowboy boots. I sympathize with him being like I was the hitman in WWF so I'm still gonna kind of have like It'll say Hitman on the back of my leather jacket, but I'm not going to do the full gimmick. I'm going to come out as Bret Hart. But the problem is, and I should preface this by saying that Bret Hart is probably my favorite wrestler of all time. I think if I had to pick one, it would be Bret. Bret in WCW is the saddest goddamn thing I have ever seen. Mm. He, there's, in this interview with Mike Tanay, Mike Tanay's asking him about how he's feeling and what he's thinking about this conflict with Ric Flair and everything, and Bret is just standing there with his hands on his hips, kind of like, I don't know. Like, yeah, he's so he's know. so nonplussed about this entire exchange. He looks like he truly wants to be anywhere else. You can see it right in his face, too. Just straight up, like, I respect Ric Flair. I know he's won 16 championships. Yeah. The best thing is, like, Flair comes out later in this interview and just totally takes the piss. Oh, it's out amazing. Of Brett. And he's like, oh, I don't want to make you want to hear the thing. Yeah, you know, the thing about you uh, coming around the mountain or something <laughs> like that. You could pause this interview at any point and take a still frame of Bret Hart's face and it is the purest definition of sadness. He just looks fucking miserable the whole time he's out there. Completely checks out. Oh yeah, he's done. This is a guy that has been fucked over so much by so many people that WCW, in a way, he's basically here because they're paying him to wrestle and they're not WWF. It's not because he wants to be there. I have a feeling as we move on watching the show for episode to episode, I feel like it's just going to be the sad Bret Hart hour. Oh yeah, he'll get worse and worse. He's only here to do an interview, and he doesn't even do that well! But... When Rick comes out, there's a reason why he's just the best chirper in the show. He just stares him right in his eyes and says, quote, You were 14 years old in the front row with a box of popcorn the first time you saw me. That's amazing. Him to uh, Brett. That is such a great way to put it into perspective of the legend that is Ric Flair. That this guy has, he's at the top of WCW right now, and he was at the top of wrestling a decade ago. He's still doing it. Yeah, at the end of this interview, too, yeah, after pumping up this match for sold out, I think it would take place a couple months later, uh, Flair ends that interview saying, quote, 
It's not about being the man, Butter. It's staying the man. Oh, woo! woo! It's it, Rick Flair's brothers are starting to turn into Butter the more he gets <laughs> Nick, tell me, who is this beefcake coming out of the aggro crag? That, my friend, is Scott Flash Norton. Oh, is he a flasher? Just a flash in the pan. So Scott Norton is kind of one of those tertiary NWO guys where like, oh, it's Conan, yeah. And then there's another level below it and it's like where you're getting like the bushies, yeah. you know, of, of, this, of this organization, the schmucks. Scott Norton is one of said schmucks. He comes out wearing a NWO vest and like plain black trunks. And again, it really looks like some security guard at this venue put on an NWO jersey and was like, let me join. And he's got uh, shaved sides of his head and a big, long, greasy mullet. And I think Scott Norton might be my favorite wrestler. He looks like he tried out to be one of the nasty boys, got rejected, and then went to WCW. I mean, that's the career choice I would have made, too. Oh, yeah. I would have been a nasty boy. I am a nasty boy. I am a nasty Yeah, let's be honest. We're nasty boys, but without the... We're uh, the nasty boys. We're nasty, but we don't really <laughs> wear it on our sleeve. Not like those boys. The nasty boys. Scott Norton kind of shuffle his way out there, looking like a fucking plumber. Out comes Lex Luger, looking like Adonis. Yeah. Just a, a fucking marble. Staring down marble. the barrel of the camera like, I really gotta wrestle this fucking guy. The benefit is that he's got a cool 5 o'clock shadow while doing it. Yeah, this looks like Lex has kind of been on a binge a little bit. He went to Jim's Steakout in Buffalo at 3 in the morning and got a chicken finger sub. And just it looks like he's fucking regretting it. He's like, oh, why did I order fast food at 3 a.m.? Like, My body's a temple. My body is a temple and I just want to destroy it. And Scott Norton does a schmoz on the outside of the ring. The announce panel's talking about Luger's interference with uh, Macho's match at the start of Thunder. And they're saying, oh, he might be all too uh, discombobulated after, you know, hitting Randy Savage with the chair. It's like, what does he have to be tired about? He yeah, just, right? He just bashed him in the back of the head. He wasn't even left. in the match. He literally did a run-in with a chair, hit Macho, and that was it. He got beat up, like, last week. Oh, my God. Uh... Scott Norton does a shoulder breaker, and that's his uh, that's his finisher. Yeah, but every time he does it, he basically just drops the other guy on their neck onto his knee, and it looks so fucking dangerous. There is a moment in this match where Lex gets Irish whipped into the turnbuckle, and he's got his arms draped over the ropes, and the camera <laughs> is centered on his face, and he visibly sighs. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> oh, I gotta fucking wrestle Scott Norton thunder like oh my god and then after wrestling scott norton on thunder for like legitimately maybe 60 seconds there's a run-in from is it buff bagwell yeah buff bagwell, buff bagwell in runs in pearl right? harbor's lex and oh, we were just talking fun. about the tears of nwo we have not only scott norton the innovator of the get out of here <laughs> which apparently no one has ever kicked out of uh he puts scott norton in the torture rack then he puts buff bagwell in the torture rack and then <laughs> Macho tries to come out and reel his goons back Yay, in. Yay, brother. <laughs> that, that's Hogan. That's a, Macho also said it, though. He did. Uh, he, everybody said brother. Every, yeah, it's true. Except everybody for Ric Flair, who said butter. Butter. But, uh, Dr. Woods, butter. <laughs> <laughs> Luger, while trying to, like, throw him off his shoulder onto Norton and Macho, Bagwell, just kind of, who's currently still in the rack, kind of, like, 
tumbles on <laughs> yes. He tumbles so onto the side of the apron. Yeah, and, and that's all Lex, by the way. He's just oh, yeah. so friggin' clumsy. Yeah. Which, for a guy that's strong, you know, if you're well, that clumsy... Well, you want to know what part of that is, I think, too, is I can too. almost guarantee you that Buff Bagwell is not supporting his own weight up there. Oh, no way. Buff Bagwell looks like an inflatable man, and that if I, you know, you poked him, he would deflate. That would have been more interesting than this match. It would have, because this wasn't a match. No. They went yawn, for, yawn, 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 like, yawn, legitimately yawn. two minutes, I think, and that was this match. Yep. White hot White WCW hot. Southern wrestling action, daddy. So after this, you know, this whatever this was, J.J. Uh, Dillon now comes to the middle of the ring to talk about, from what my notes here, and by notes I mean the network description of the segment, says, J.J. Dillon addresses the title situation. This is a culmination of all this horseshit we kept hearing throughout the New Japan match and throughout the Lucha Libre match about, you know, Hogan and Sting got in a kerfuffle and nobody knows what to do and now they're all going to come in the middle of the ring and figure it out. Hulk says there was a slow count, but if you watch the replay of this match, like, Sting lifts his shoulder up when Hulk, when Hulk pins him. Yes. So the count... It's almost is, like Hulk is a heel. Yeah, And wants like, to cheat. No, Andrew, but I was watching him on, on Raw all those years. He was a good guy. It's awesome. They, as they come out of the aggro crag, it's Hogan, Bischoff, and then the goons. So you've got Conan, you've got Virgil, and then you've got big sexy Kevin Nash taking up the rear, and as he's walking down the ramp, Hogan is clapping his hands like the fucking Florida Gators taunt and going, one, two, three. And then he does it again when he gets in the ring. And then he does it again when he's talking to J.J. Dillon. Hogan clearly thought he had one cool move that he came up with here, yeah, and that was it. He also does, like, the, hmm, I wonder what's gonna be talked about here. They're, like, very coy and very, you know, There's actually shitty. an amazing moment in this segment where as J.J. Dillon is talking to Mike today in the middle of the ring about the decision and this whole issue with Sting and Hogan, Hogan stands directly in front of Mike today and J.J. Dillon and does, like, a flex. He does his Hogan poses. Yeah, this totally, is Totally, which, again, like, wow, way to tell me that this doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, this is Hogan's company. This is the whole oh, yeah. show we all yes. stand up for. Truly! Now, they're gonna cut to this match. And all these people probably saw the show. They probably saw Stark yeah. uh, Stark. Nobody is coming to Thunder not knowing about kind of what they're getting into. And everybody that paid to come see a wrestling show know what Nitro is about already and want to see more uh, WCW, WCW wrestling, they're going to watch it again. Again. And in a show when we've already had like a 20-minute replay segment from Nitro. Let me let me do a little bit of play-by-play -play quick because yeah, this is not the whole match, but this is like the end of Starcade 97. So Hogan stomps out, staying outside the ring. Lightning strikes segue to Hogan connecting with an atomic drop, an Irish whip to a big boot, and then starts hot-dogging before he hits the stinger with the leg drop. He goes for the cover. One, two, three? No! <laughs> Sting lifts his shoulder up. The cameraman doesn't catch it. But who does? Who do you think, Andrew? Who do you think comes out? Uh, Ric Flair! No, it, uh. the other one. Sting! Nah, his his name rhymes with uh, Heck Fart. Owen! Yes. <laughs> Owen Hart comes out. Oh, Owen Hart comes out. Oh, it's Brett. It's, it's Brett. It's Brett. Brett comes out. 
He tells Brett, the, the living embodiment of the rules. Yeah, he doesn't let the timekeeper ring the bell. He decks the timekeeper. like a face. The, the hit that Brett gives the timekeeper, he just like gives him a push with his elbow and he does this hilarious pratfall to the ground. The, the timekeeper lifts both of his arms yeah. and just goes, Whoa! And it just faints. I, I, I give him props, though, for keeping his arms stuck out as he oh, hit the ground. It's awesome. <laughs> what a silly show we're watching. So, Brett grabs Hogan by the hair in his butt and tosses him back in the ring where Stinger is waiting for him. Crowd pops for Brett taking charge, and Hogan, he's getting, he does a little twirly number in the, in the corner of this, like, Nah, I don't want to fight you, brother! Stinger's ready to finish this match for real. So. Oh, yeah, he's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so as Hogan's, like, cowering in the corner, Stinger gives his, you know, gives his woo call. Tosses him to one corner, punches and kicks him, and then tosses him into another corner, and then he does uh, a really good stinger splash. Yep, it's always a good stinger splash. Guess who shows up to try and stop Sting? Buffy and Norton, they show up to try and stop him. The schmucks try to stop him. And then, you know, Brett is getting uh, all these guys in order, but Sting grabs Hogan by his leg. They're in the middle of the rings, right? Mm -hmm. Stinger points to Brett. Gets him in the sharpshooter. Ugh. Mm. He gets it in too. He like, I mean, the announcers is calling it the uh, the stinger death lock, but no, not when Brett's there. No. 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 Not when Brett is standing right in front of you <laughs> and you point to him. Yeah, really. That's the sharpshooter. And then, lo and behold, Hogan taps. Yeah. So that's the end of the match, and we kept harping on Brett being the referee for these dopey matches. You know, his his count is the count. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Match is over. Locker room comes out to celebrate, and everybody's really excited. The parka comes out in a Tommy Hilfiger long sleeve and a, <laughs> and a fanny pack. Yes. That's how you know. You know like that's he, how you know it's the 90s. He had to, you know, he, he didn't throw his fanny pack at his, lo- at his locker. He ran out and he had to celebrate. <laughs> the parka's a germaphobe. He keeps all his little dove <laughs> hand sprays in his fanny pack. It's just full of peanuts, so he's <laughs> snacking. He gets hungry in the middle of a match. <laughs> Laparka, who's still alive, by the way, not the Laparka who just died. Rest in peace. Not the dead Laparka. <laughs> no, <laughs> not him. Oh my god. <laughs> so, so, so back to Tony and the gang, and you know Big T uh, talking about the most controversial forty-eight minutes in professional wrestling. They- what are you talking about? Just fucking rich, because we're in a post-Montreal screwjob world here. And guess what they cut to next. What is it, Nick? It's their rematch from Nitro. Guess how the match ends. How does it end, Nick? <laughs> Check my notes. A sharpshooter. Hey, a sharpshooter. <laughs> I've heard of that move. It's not why we saw it on Starcade. <laughs> oh my god. Thunderbolt back to bike today. In the middle of the ring after we just saw the same match and the same ending fucking twice. J.J. <laughs> Dillon makes a decision. You know what they said to Stinger after watching the footage that we saw? We're vacating the belt. What? Yeah, neither Hogan... <laughs> Nor Sting gets this belt. A result nobody will be happy about. Boy, you're not kidding. Booze and confusion. Boo. Yeah. Boo. It's crazy. Hogan sucks. Hogan sucks. Nah. 
Yeah, I mean, he does. Not for nothing. He does suck. Sting throws the belt down at JJ. Oh. And he calls him a coward. <laughs> and turns to Hogan, puts the bat to his chin, and says, And you're a dead man. Yeah! That's awesome! It, oh, thank God oh, we yeah. have two professionals. <laughs> yes, seriously. In, in the yeah. middle of this oh, ring. Oh my God. It's so, it's such a nice change from the rest of the bullshit that's been on this episode to have at least one moment that genuinely felt electric and cool and seeing Sting threaten Hogan, that's, that's a dream match. But that's, what kill, but that's what kills me about that. Not only is it a dream match, well, now get for a third time. All these matches are shoehorned in with a stupid step and peak Hogan antics. And you're not going to take a stand for the company after NWO is trying to form their own sub-promotion in your house? And yeah. so, no, we're just going to... No, I, I can't decide. Oh, golly. You know, I just don't know who's in the right here. The gang of thugs that we demonize on our show every week or the wrestlers who signed a contract and you know is making money legit with this company fuck think this show stinks but thank god in heaven we're at the final match of the night who comes on out of the aggro crag motherfucking diamond dallas page i know baby the hero himself he's a fucking he's like a saint of pro wrestling he's on he's easily on my top five I grew up watching him like on the sparse episodes of WCW I would see. So the biggest WCW wrestlers in my mind were Sting and Diamond Dallas Page. I mean, Diamond Dallas Page, I think, even now, if possible, has a bigger reputation than he did here. So DDP in WCW is an enormous star and he's a big big draw and everything but if anything his status in the wrestling world has only grown since he stopped wrestling full time that ddp yoga i have that saves app, dude. lives yeah. i have that app dude ddp is the reason your favorite wrestler is still alive so who comes out following him hey look who decided to show up today kevin nash oh he's gonna work today uh, much to his disdain kevin nash is gonna wrestle the main <laughs> event of this b show <laughs> for uh, 10 minutes look <laughs> Yeah, oh, not even. Oh, generous. Yeah, this, generous this, ten minutes. This match. Uh, I don't know how long this... I, I, I was, my brain turned into a fucking soup by the end of this episode. Yeah, this was not an easy watch. No, uh, All so, two and a half hours of this shit. So, like, maybe... Yeah, this, well, it, like, legitimately is, like, yeah, this less match than is, ten minutes. Yeah, this match is, like, eight, eight minutes, thirty seconds. What kind of match is it? As uh, Shivani says, big, methodical, and slow. Boring. Dead as a doornail. Yeah. I do love uh, Kevin Nash picking up the bell and putting it on his waist and, you know, that that kind of shit heel buffoonery that he Kevin does. Nash That's the one thing. Kevin Nash is awesome until you have to watch him wrestle. There's just a reason why he was the lowest drawing champion in WWF. Even when he's at his physical prime in the mid-90s, you know, before all of his fucking knee problems and him tearing his quad 800 different times, he still could do some moves. But he never was going to be the guy. He's a guy that is insanely charismatic and probably should have just been an actor, I think. Mm. Got, that, get that John Wick money. So we've got a swing. Yeah. We have cool shit from DDP off the jump. He does get his shit rock yeah. in this match, but uh, yeah, we get a swing and neckbreaker early from him. A couple of really nice, you know, fluid uh, chain wrestling in the well, as fluid as that, as fluid as it can be. We start the match. 
with, you know, arm ringers, typical back and forth. We got some good hits, too, but it's just, it's Kevin Nash just beating the shit out of DDP. Yeah, and this is the main event of the first episode of your brand new show, is the babyface doing all of his moves here only to then get obliterated by Kevin Nash at the end. After a big elbow drop from Kevin Nash, you know, DDP kicks out. And he still, still gets creamed and won't quit. Hogan's chirping on the side. But then DDP, you know, he's going for a diamond cutter on Nash to finally give this match an end. And Hogan interferes with a gut shot. And then the bell rings and the fucking match is over. <laughs> and who comes out and tries to regain order? Giant! The only man taller than Kevin Nash on this roster. Paul the Big Giant Show White comes out, and they're staring each other down, and Shivani's having a shit fit. There's The show's almost over, it's like, I cannot emphasize it! They're gonna start attacking each other, but we gotta come to rest! We need to go to dark! We need to end the show! <laughs> this is shoot, he's like, this isn't a bit, he's legitimately like, we are gonna get pulled from the air right now, you have ten seconds to finish this. <sighs> shoot or not. Still bullshit. <laughs> Kevin and Cho are staring each other down. Fade away, uh, fade away jumper. <laughs> uh, fade to black. And that's it. We're building a Kevin Nash Big Show match to end the first ever episode of Thunder, even though the big conflict that this is all building towards is Bret Hart and Ric Flair. Or, or Hogan Sting, and we're ending with Kevin Nash? Or at least everything else is, like, inconsequential. It's just strange. It feels like Kevin Nash himself might have insisted that this match go on last. Because mm. there's no reason to me that this is the main event over, I don't know, like, Hogan's in the building! Ric Flair is in the building! I don't know! I don't know about it either. So, Andrew, any final thoughts of this, uh, of this endeavor? There's a part of me that wants to be like, well, it can only go up from here, but I know <laughs> I know from history that that is the opposite is true. Um, I think in an attempt to give us more WCW, they instead have revealed that the booking at a base level for this company is not very good. And that part of what made Nitro such a must-watch show was star power. And it was the wrestlers that they had. It wasn't necessarily the storylines. So if the purpose of having a B-show in the first place is that, oh, we need more time to continue storylines that are happening from our A-show, Nitro, this is not that. There's, there's half of the episode was recaps of stuff that either happened at, you know, a pay-per-view or it happened on Nitro, and we're going to see it again on Thunder, and the other half of the episode were little, like, nothing five, six, seven-minute-long matches. So you kind of don't get anything out of this, and it's clear from episode one that this is strictly because they were making a lot of money on Nitro, and they thought, well, we can probably suck some more views out of this by adding a second show for Thunder. But if I were sitting down in 1998 to watch, oh my god, first episode of a brand new wrestling show, and this is what I watched, I don't think I would have kept going. What reason have they given me to watch Thunder? I can see more of my favorite wrestlers, but they're not going to be doing anything, or it'll be like a recap segment or a shitty in-ring promo. There's no, there's no reason for this show to exist outside of the sort of crass, like, oh, we need to make more money. It's that kind of thing. But even that didn't work, because this shit only lasted for like three years. Or died an ignominious death with the rest of the company. It's a testament to man's hubris. This show, to me, when I first watched this, I'm just like, we may be going the negative route, you know, just you know, for the yucks, for the gags, mm -hmm. for the for the cast. 
but what if Thunder is actually just a, a world of possible booking that could be really good, and this is just testing the waters mm-hmm. of that? I, and that would be cool if there wasn't bullshit. Half of the stuff either comes from nowhere, goes nowhere, or I just haven't cared enough. I didn't enjoy the show, Andrew. No, I didn't either. It wasn't very good. I give it uh, exactly 2 out of 10. 2 out of 10 is honestly generous. Because if you ask me, Andrew, I have two hours to kill. Should I watch this episode of Thunder and why should I watch it? I don't know that in good conscience I could tell you that there are reasons to sit down and watch this show. If I were watching this in 1998, I would have just told you, and just tune into Nitro. If I were like the biggest Hoovy fan ever... I would watch this because it's a time that he won a title, right? Yeah. That is maybe a 10-minute segment in the middle of a fucking sea of nothing. When you consider how many electric, exciting megastars are on this show, everybody in NWO, fucking Ric Flair, fucking Bret Hart, huge names... That the show is this unwatchable is a travesty, and I would give it a 0 out of 10. Like, watching this was a harder watch for me than, honestly, maybe any other wrestling show I've ever watched. You know, we were watching, like, old TNA. It can't be, like, wrestling should be. This is bad, but it's boring, and that's almost worse to me. So this is a this is a good idea for a podcast. It's a great idea for a podcast. Good. Uh, WCW Thunder is a bad show. We're gonna keep watching the rest fucking three years of this shit. And I guess the the thing I'm holding close to my heart is that none of the other episodes are this long. This is like a special hour extra because it's the debut show. Every other episode of this show runs about an hour and a half. Um, so I am just praying that it gets easier. High hopes. High hopes. Who do you think Pete Buttigieg's favorite wrestler is? I would say his favorite wrestler is Bonesaw McGraw from the first Spider-Man movie. Oh my god. Um, well, if him not knowing who Kobe Bryant is is any indication, uh, I'd say Santino Morella because he'll probably try to dig into Bruno San Martino and then get the two cute. Pete is ready. <laughs> All right, well, next episode is January 15th, 1998. We're going to have Big Show, Big Giant Show, Paul Giant, White Show, uh, him, the big boy, versus (laughs) the other big boy, Kevin Nash. And I hope you guys join us. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, please don't let us do this alone. Please. Please, God. What are we doing here?